We're at the end of chapter 25. We're on page 8 of 9. And what we established until now was that a Jew has within his power at any time or moment to get rid of any spirit of insanity that clouds their thinking and doesn't allow them to serve Hashem properly. It's literally just that thought away, thinking, who am I at my essence? I'm somebody who's willing to give up life for Hashem. And what does this sin do? It tears me away from Hashem. We also discussed how every mitzvah achieves a greater unity between our soul and Hashem. And the unity that we achieve with Hashem at the time of a mitzvah is forever. With this in mind, knowing that a mitzvah, every single mitzvah, no matter which mitzvah, brings us a total level of fusion with Hashem, and every single avera, no matter which, brings a state of total separation from Hashem, we can come to understand something about the mitzvah of Shema in the Torah. So we're after the three stars. At any rate, we see that the union of the soul with Hashem that is affected through the mitzvahs is eternal. When one considers that he would gladly give up his life so as not to be, even momentarily, parted from Hashem by practicing idolatry, he will realize that he surely ought to exert himself in performing the mitzvahs which bind him to Hashem forever. The Alter has thus demonstrated how being aware of one's willingness to sacrifice his life for Hashem affects both the areas of turning away from evil and doing good, meaning the observance of the negative and positive commandments respectively. It follows then that this awareness should constantly be on one's mind so he will always be ready to apply his performance so that he will always be ready to apply it to his performance of the mitzvot. In light of the above, it will be understood why Moshe Rabbeinu, peace be upon him, commanded in the book of Devarim, not in the earlier books of the Bible, addressed to the generations of Jews who wandered in the desert, but to the generation that entered the Holy Land, that they too, and not only the subsequent generations, recite the Shema twice daily, the intention in the Shema being to acknowledge the kingdom of heaven with self-sacrifice, meaning the Shema teaches us to accept martyrdom for the sanctification of Hashem's name. Okay, so two things about Shema. One thing is, Jews in the desert were not obligated to recite Shema. The next thing we know is that the Jews that were about to enter the land of Israel were commanded to say Shema. Now, there are certain mitzvahs like Bikurim that they were commanded to do once they actually settled and conquered the land, but before then they didn't have to. And this mitzvah was in a comment upon them as soon as they entered the land of Israel. So there's something about the mitzvah of Shema that's connected to the generation of Jewish people entering the land of Israel that was not, hi, that was not um, necessary for the people beforehand. And that while it's necessary for the people who follow them subsequently in next generations, it's for them too. So what is it? So Shema. Rabbi Sherbun Karcha asks in the Gemara, why do we first read Shema and then we read Vahaya and Shemaya? There's an order. There's three sections of Torah that we say for Kriya Shema, right? There's Shema, then there's Vahaya and Shemaya, and then there's Vayamer. Rabbi Shubhan Karcha asks, why do we first say Shema and Vahafta and then we do Vahaya and Shemaya? He says, because this first paragraph of Shema is about Kabbalas al Malchus Shemaim, accepting upon yourself the kingdom of the yoke of heaven. Once you accept the kingdom of the yoke of heaven, then we go into Vahayim Shemaya, which is about keeping the commandments. In order to keep the commandments, first you need to accept upon yourself the kingdom, the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's one thing we know about Shema. Shema is accepting upon yourself the sovereignty of Hashem. Then there's another thing about Shema. 
the Gemara is speaking about the words of Shema. It says, you shall love Hashem your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the Gemara comments on the words, Even if he takes your soul, what does it mean love Hashem with your soul? Even if he takes your soul, you should love him. Love him with your soul. Being ready to give up life for Hashem. So again, Shema was commanded not to the generation in the desert, but specifically to the generation entering the land of Israel and for subsequent generations. And Shema is about accepting the kingdom of the yoke of heaven with Mesiras Nefesh, ready to sanctify Hashem's name by giving up life. So now we have to understand why were they commanded to say Shema. Now one may ask, why was it necessary for our forefathers to prepare themselves for martyrdom? Had they not been promised that God will lay the fear and dread of you upon all the inhabitants of the land? They had no reason to fear that anyone would attempt to force them to deny the kingdom of heaven, necessitating self-sacrifice to resist such efforts. In this sense, they were as well protected as the Jews who traveled the desert with Moshe, who were not commanded to recite the Shema. We must therefore conclude that preparation for martyrdom is necessary not only to ensure that it will be put into practice if and when necessary. Okay, so we have this question. Why are they being asked to be ready to give up their life for Hashem when Hashem promised them that no man will stand before you? You have a promise of security. You're going to win the war. Nobody's going to come and nobody's going to try to force conversion upon you. So why do they need to think about self-sacrifice? Who's thinking of self-sacrifice? There's no forced conversions. That they're aware of. Yes, in subsequent generations, there's going to be that problem. And Hashem told Moshe, you are going to lie with your fathers, and this nation is going to get up, and they're going to stray after false gods. But the generation that entered the land of Israel, they didn't have that problem. So why are they being asked to say Shema, which reminds them of accepting the yoke of heaven with self-sacrifice? Ella... But because the re- fulfillment of the Torah and its commandments is contingent on one's being constantly aware of his readiness to surrender his life to Hashem for the sake of his unity, meaning that a person remembers that he would be willing to sacrifice his life for the sake of Hashem's unity, if the situation would warrant it, which is the message contained in Shema. He must therefore recite it twice daily, morning and evening, so that this awareness be fixed permanently in his heart, and he will do not depart from his memory night and day. So the reason why they're commanded to say the Shema is because keeping Torah and mitzvahs requires that we remember our readiness for self-sacrifice. People think, you know what? If I keep all the Torah and mitzvahs, I read the Shulchan Aruch, I keep everything it says in Shulchan Aruch, then I'm the perfect Jew. Actually, that's not true. There's something deeper than that. Hashem doesn't want just a corner of your life. It's, the Talmud says, Hashem wants your heart. He wants everything about you. He doesn't just want a little space. He wants everything about you. Your observance of Torah and Mitzvah shouldn't just be something that you do. It's who you are. And that's why we need to say Shema twice a day, is because we have to remember who we are. Essentially, who we are as a person, a person ready to willingly, lovingly sacrifice their life so as not to separate from Hashem. And that's why the generation entering the land of Israel, who now does not have the the spirituality of the desert and has to deal with mundanity, they have to remember. In order to keep Torah and Mitzvah, remember who you are essentially. Essentially, at your deepest space, 
you are ready to give up life for Hashem. In order to live the life you want to live, a person has to remember what they would die for. When they remember what they die for, then they remember how to live their life, what they will live for. So it's not just about giving Hashem a corner of your life, it's about giving Hashem the entirety of your personality. Now that sounds difficult, right? But actually it's not difficult. It's the most freeing, liberating way of being. Giving Hashem the utmost expression through yourself is the most happy, joyous, amazing way, fulfilling way to live life. Okay, when we think about utopia, what do we think about in, in humanity, in the, the history of humanity? When we think about utopia, what comes to mind? The Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden was the perfect space of being until Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What was the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden was a place. Hi, Adi, welcome! Hi, hi! I'm so happy you came! Here, have a copy. We're on the last page. So we're, we're looking at how Hashem wants, and really the best way for us to be, is living a life where our entire personality expresses our divine mission. And when you can say, oh my gosh, Hashem doesn't just want a quarter of my life. He doesn't just want a little space. He wants the whole thing. He wants my mind. He wants my heart. Isn't that confining? No, that's liberating. Think about to our most happy, blissful place in human history, and that was the Garden of Eden. What was the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, before they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were physical embodiments of their divine mission. There was nothing else. All they were were channels for their divine purpose. What happened when they ate from that tree? When they ate from that tree, they suddenly had an awareness independent of their purpose. All of a sudden, they thought they're naked. Why do you think you're naked? Because now they see their body as something separate from their purpose. That's when the schism happened. That's when the divide happened. That's where all hardships happen, when we start thinking of ourselves different than our divine mission. Now, it happens for a reason, right? And now our mission is to reunite this. To, yes, we're born with a separate consciousness, but to align all facets of our personality so that they harmoniously express our divine purpose. And that's why we have to say Shema twice a day, because we always have to remember, even that generation who entered the land of Israel and was assured of security, nobody's gonna stand against you, your, your dread is gonna be upon all the nations, why are they remembering Shema? Why do they have to think about self-sacrifice? Because remembering self-sacrifice is not just about dying for Hashem. That should never ever happen. Nobody should have to give up their life because they're being forced to convert. But when we remember that a Jew would be willing to do that, when he's willing to die for that, it helps him live the life that he wants to live. And so the Alter Rebbe says like this, he says, you always have to remember it. It should be set in your heart, tamid mamish. That means literally always. Because there's a few ways of interpreting the word tamid, like we have in the Beis HaMikdash, the karban tamid, the constant sacrifice. This sacrifice, the daily sacrifice, was offered twice a day. Why was it constant? Because it was consistent. Certain things, when they're consistent, are considered constant. But the Altar Rebbe says over here, no, no. When I say tamid, I mean tamid mamish. Literally always, every waking moment, you need to remember this. You need to remember 
that you would be willing to give up your life so as not to separate from Hashem. And when you remember that, nothing's going to get in your way. You're going to be serving Hashem with the entirety of your personality. And this way, one is able to withstand his evil inclination and to vanquish it at every time and every moment, even after Moshe's passing. Whenever Jews are engaged in an intense struggle with the evil inclination, as it is written, Hashem said to Moshe, Behold, you are about to sleep with your fathers, and this people will rise up and stray. Canal, as is explained above, that when one remembers that he would be prepared to suffer martyrdom for his love of Hashem and his belief in Hashem's unity, he will surely be able to overcome his evil inclination and perform all the mitzvot. So we finished chapter 25, and I'm going to wrap up what we just said. We'll wrap up the whole chapter, and then we'll move on. So we just said that the reason why the Jewish people that were entering the land of Israel, although they were ascertained and assured of security that no one would stand up to fight against them why they had to say Shema which is about remember, taking on Hashem's yoke of heaven and remembering self-sacrifice is not because somebody was going to force them to convert it was because keeping this in mind when you're going to the world when you're entering the land when you're starting to engage with the battle of materialism keeping in mind what a Jew would die for helps him remember how to live his life this chapter was the chapter that really brought it all together for us. We started off the chapter saying, it's within your reach at any time and moment. You can get rid of the insanity that makes you think that a little Avera doesn't separate you from Hashem. You remember that idol worship separates a Jew from Hashem. So does every other Avera separate a Jew from Hashem. A Jew would die so as not to bow down to idols. Surely they would endure a little bit of discomfort in resisting the temptation of the evil inclination. Furthermore, we can tap into this power to serve Hashem with our all. Because every single mitzvah brings us a closer connection to Hashem. Not bowing down to an idol, all that means is that we don't lose our connection. But doing a mitzvah enhances and intensifies our connection. And not just that, but the, intense, the, the connection that we forge with Hashem is eternal, lasting forever. That never, ever goes away. This fusion lasts forever. And so when we remember that, we could at any time and moment serve Hashem with the entirety of our personality. Now, chapter 25 really closes our entire unit from 18 to 25. Because I'll remind you that the book of Tani was written in order to explain to us how the Torah is very near to us in our mouth and in our heart that we may do it. And the Alter Rebbe said, I will explain to you in the long and short way how indeed it is very near to you to serve Hashem with your mouth, with your heart, so that you may do it in action, thought, speech, and action, and with the feelings of your heart. Now, Hasidim explained that the first part of Tanya, chapters 1 through 17, describe a long way. This is the way where we meditate on Hashem and our thoughts conjure up such emotions that we change our personality and we serve Hashem with love that we created. That was a long way. Chapter 18 started something new, saying, hey, you don't have to create anything new. You know that? You already have a love Hashem within you. All you have to do is remember it. And that was the short way. Now, the Rebbe actually speaks about this interpretation. And while indeed these are two ways, there's a long way and the short way, he says, I want you to know that the entire Tanya is actually the long and short way. Meaning, even as we describe the short way, learning about the short way is also called the long and short way. 
you remember what the long and short way is? The long and short way is from the story in the Talmud. Story tells a story of, the Talmud tells a story of Rabbi Shuban Hananiah trying to enter the city. He comes to a fork in the road and he sees a little boy sitting on the stone. And he says, little boy, how do we get to the city? He says, oh, they both lead to the city. This is the long and short way. This is the short and long way. He said, okay, short and long. I'll take short and long. So he gets on the road, almost at the city, but he can't get in because it's blocked by p- private fields and vineyards. So he gets back and the little boy is still sitting there. And he said, my little boy, didn't you tell me that it was the short way? He said, didn't I also tell you it was the long way? And so he kissed him on his head and he said, how wise are you all Jewish people from the youngest ones? They're all wise. Now, Arucha Ukitsara, then he took the long way, which was the long but short way. If you're timing it by miles, it was longer, but it was shorter because you actually reached your destination. And that's the method of the Tanya. The method of the Tanya doesn't promise you sudden bursts of inspiration. You know, those things you read it and you're so inspired and you're so good for a day, for an hour, for five minutes, and then it's back the same old. You know, the joke of the woman who has a new coworker, they're working at the same office, the coworker stays, it's like three years, it's time for a promotion. Who gets the promotion? The coworker. She's really angry. So she goes to the boss and she goes, she's only working here for three years. Me, I'm working here for 20 years. Why didn't I get the promotion? He goes, no, 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 that's incorrect. You're not working here for 20 years. You don't have 20 years of experience. You have one year of experience 20 times over. Sometimes we're just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. We're keep doing the same things again and again. We're not growing from our experiences. That's what, that's what the short but long way is. You get a sudden burst of inspiration, but then you're back to the same old. You haven't changed a bit. No, 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 not like that. The altar says, I'm going to teach you a method that's the long way. It's going to take effort. It's going to take toil. It's going to take learning. But I assure you, when you get there, you're going to get there. So even when we studied about the short way that we naturally, inherently have a love of Hashem within us, as we study about it, that's also the long but short way. Is there anybody in this room who, through chapters 18 to 25, those profound ideas that we studied about the unity of Hashem, about our essence of being, didn't our mind and heart change? That was the long and short way. <laughs> that was the long and short way. It wasn't just the short way. It was the long and short way. So with this, we close our unit of 18 to 25. And we'll move now to chapter 26. Does anybody have questions before we go on? Yeah, quick question here. When it says, uh, Hashem said to Moshe that, um, behold, you are about to sleep with your father and his people will arise upon him soon. What does this exactly mean? I don't understand. He said that Moshe, Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, you're going to go to the land of Israel I know that after you die, the Jewish people are going to stray after idols. They're going to start serving idols. They're going to be, it was like a crazy phenomenon that the Jewish people were so enticed and lured by idol worship. Actually, there's a story in the Talmud of Rav Ashi. Rav Ashi was giving a lecture to his students, and he said, I'm closing the lecture for today. Tomorrow, the lecture is going to be about the three kings who were our colleagues in Torah study, and nevertheless, they sinned. So he was speaking about three Jewish kings who were great Torah scholars and were terrible sinners, Yerevan Benavat, Menashe, and Ahav. He goes to sleep that night, he has a dream. King Menashe appears to him. He said, you dare call me your colleague in Torah study? I'm much greater than you in Torah study. 
Let me ask you a question. This is Menashe asking Rav Ashi in a dream. Where do you start cutting the bread when you break the bracha hamotzi lachem in ha'aretz? He said, I don't know. He said, you don't know and you dare call me your colleague? So he said, okay, tell me the halacha and tomorrow I will repeat it in your name. And I will also lecture publicly about it in your name on the festival. And he said, okay. When you make the bracha hamotzi, you cut the bread from the place that the bread begins to crust over during baking. So Rav Ashi says to King Menashe in his dream, if you are so wise, tell me, how did you sin? How did you worship idols? What was your problem? You're this great Torah scholar. You're teaching me this thing that I didn't know myself. And yet, you followed idol worship? He said, I want to tell you something. If you lived in my times, you would have picked up the hem of your robes and run after me to worship idols because the temptation was so strong and it was so prevalent. All the people were worshiping idols at that time that you would have done the same. So the next day, Rav Ashi comes to Shir. He comes to give his lecture and he says, today we are going to speak about the three kings who are greater than us in Torah study and yet their sins caused them to lose their portion in the next world. So that's what it means when the Jewish people are going to get up and stray after false gods. Hashem knew that the Jewish people after Moshe would pass away are going to be sucked into the times and try to be lured by their Yetzirah. So now um, money is like an idol? Is money like an idol? So anything that we give importance to having a significance outside of Hashem is like an idol. Is it idol worship uh, halachically? No, you're not, there's a difference. But essentially, when we look at the root of everything, if we're going to go to the Kabbalistic core, I am God, your God means I am the only existence. Nothing has importance outside of me. You shall not have no other gods means. You shall not give significance or importance to anything besides for me. So if somebody gives undue importance to money, seeing it as separate from, it, from its intended purpose, then that's a form of idol worship. Seeing something as separate from its intended purpose means seeing it as something having an independent existence than Hashem, and that is a form of idol worship. And that's what we're avoiding at every cost. And that's what we're trying to bring into our psyche so that we don't ever, ever sin, that we always live every single moment in step with our divine mission. So that's it for chapter 25.